Welcome to the podcast, From Crisis to Connection. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'll be bringing the professional perspective. I'm Jody Stewart, unlicensed wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and neighbor, and I'll be bringing the regular everyday perspective. We are all about relationship recovery, and we'll tackle tough topics like infidelity, abuse, addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. We also focus on helping you build stronger connections in your most important relationships. So thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Always great to be with you every single week. And before we dive in, I want to tell you about a great trust-building resource. If you're looking for a quick and clear way to begin building trust again, you can download a free course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust using the link in the show notes. And this has information for the person who's broken the trust, the betrayed partner, and also resources and help for the couple. You can download this now. Just click on the link in the show notes and we'll send it to you right away. Yeah, thanks for that. All right, let's dive right in. Okay. So this came out of a, a conversation, a question I had with someone who was really deep in his accountability, actually, and really wanting to rebuild and, and create more safety in his relationship with his wife. But this centered around the idea of objectification. His wife hmm. was really anxious and nervous about whether or not she could tell if he was objectifying other women. And I'm guessing what she means by that is primarily lusting after other women hmm. or seeing women as sexual objects. And it came up that she's like, you know, I know you haven't viewed pornography or acted out sexually. And it would have been like 10 plus years at this point, but she still had this nagging sense mm. that he, or worried that he was still viewing other women as sexual objects. And that just made her so uncomfortable. And so he was talking with me and wondering, how can I really show her? How can she know that that's not what I'm doing? And he, of course, when he was talking with me, he was certain that this wasn't the way he was thinking about or treating other women. He just doesn't, didn't know how to demonstrate that or show his wife in a way she would believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, yeah. that's a good question. I think we can look at the scenario and, and see bo both perspectives. Yeah. How he feels like he's, he's different and she's wondering, she has a lot of questions because she's not, not sharing space in his head. Yeah. And I think when something private happens in your own mind, or it's out of view of your partner, whether it's happening, you know, at work or somewhere where you're not together. Admittedly, it's very challenging to prove you're not doing something just in any situation. Yeah. It's easier to prove you're doing something. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the dishes or I'm, you know, I'm doing these measurable things and they're happening and you can check them off. But something that is harder to identify or, or witness, it's more challenging to prove that you're not doing something anymore. For sure. For sure. And definitely when there's been a breach of trust. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that that what's really going on with us internally is reflected externally. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think, so I don't think it's as, as... That he's caught in this dilemma of no. like, she'll never be able to see it. No, I, I agree. don't. I, I agree. don't. I like the way you put that. That's like the, we talk about congruence sometimes and mm -hmm. that's a... That can be felt. Mm -hmm. And I think observed. Yeah. I think it, I think it does leak out. Yeah. In our interactions. Yeah. So just maybe really quickly, is it okay if we just identify what objectification is? Yeah, Sometimes let's... we throw out psychological terms and people are like, you lost me at objectification. I don't have <laughs> yeah. a clue what that means. Yeah. Or maybe a few different interpretations. So. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Let's meaning you. You. <laughs> <laughs> That's the famous one in our marriage. Let's do that. Yeah. 
Who who's going to be let's? <laughs> I'll start with great. I'll start first. Okay. So objectification can happen. I mean, it's really based on this idea that we see somebody as less than human. Yeah. At a very foundational level, it's viewing somebody as different than you, as less than you, as less deserving than you, or viewing them as something that you're using for yourself. Mm-hmm. So in this case, where you know we talk about a sexual objectification. It's dehumanizing another person in the sense that they just serve my needs as a sexual object, a collection of body parts or someone that is nameless and, you know, faceless or has no, you know, history or personality. And they're just there to consume as an object or as something that, you know, is is like you're taking. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, that's, I think that strikes at the root of pornography. I think that that's, you know, it's very dehumanizing Mm -hmm. just to view people as one dimensional. Sure. As an object that's, you know, basically, I mean, think about any object. It's like you, you pick something up, you put it down and you just sort of move it to your- Oh, yeah. Oh, it's interesting too, real quick. I just remembered years ago reading a, an article that had summarized a study. I don't say I read studies anymore because I, <laughs> I don't go through and actually read the whole study, but I do read a lot of summaries of, of studies anyway. But they had talked about how they had, college students had viewed what they would consider soft core pornography, which I think is a hugely minimizing sure, term, but sure. But it was basically nudity. It didn't have any sex acts or violence or anything like that. It was it was just naked people. And what they found is, and this even happened with swimsuits too. And what they found is that when they measured them and interviewed them and talked with them, the part of their brain that was in charge of manipulating objects like holding a, a tool or using a tool or uh-huh. a hammer, that uh-huh. part was more activated. Yes. You remember this? Yes, I do. Yeah. So like our brains, when we see somebody in that state like that, when we don't know them, but all of a sudden we have all this access to them in this way, this really intimate way, we tend to depersonalize it pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So I think our brains naturally do that. And it's super harmful to feel your, you know, to have that be the way you see people. Oh, yeah. And interact I, with people. I think even just on a fundamental level, mm-hmm. driving is a really great example. Oh, of yes. this kind of thing. Yeah, we it's do like this. how do we view other drivers on the road and when they when they do things we don't understand or are they always in our way? Are we is our hurry and our destination more important than them? Or mm-hmm. in and so that can just kind of True. shed some light on our tendency, just a human tendency to treat unknown people as objects and, you know, known people also depending on the mm-hmm. circumstance. Yeah, exactly. I think when we strip away anybody's needs as, you know, less than or different than ours, we enter an objectification. And, you know, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to admit, but we all do it to some degree. Yes. And the threat of feeling objectified or of somebody objectifying another person should feel threatening. Yeah. It's not healthy for us as humans to objectify other people. No. Just in general. I mean, I get that in the context of a betrayal, I have a question, you know, this, when this person brought it up, one of the questions, and I, I talked with him about this, but one of my questions for him was, you know, it's been 10 years. Why would this still be coming up? That, I do see that. What do you think a... she's picking up on? Mm-hmm. That was more of the conversation. Like, what do you, you know, you could certainly just put it on her and say, you know, it's been 10 years. I mean, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, well, that's an objectifying response. Oh, sure. Right? To act like her pain doesn't have a purpose or doesn't, her fears are just coming out of nowhere and that she's just, Again, we can so easily dismiss people, minimize them. Mm. At the core of abuse is objectification. Mm -hmm. It's dehumanization. Yeah, yeah. So anytime we get defensive or push back or ignore or diminish or minimize, we're objectifying 
So this is a tricky question because if a partner's hurting and she's worried that this is going on and you just dismiss that automatically, and if that is a normal pattern in the relationship, oh, yeah. she, she may worry that that extends. picking up on some objectification. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that may be extending. She may sexualize that and believe that sure. it's happening everywhere. And it might be, but it certainly might be happening primarily just in her experiences with, with mm-hmm. the, you know, her spouse. Mm-hmm. So in terms of it coming out sideways, what are some ways that you feel like you can detect somebody who's really congruent and not objectifying? Where do you think that you can start to see that in their day-to-day? If it's something that happens in the mind and it's more of a mindset or a belief system, how could a betrayed partner start to really see and experience and feel if this is not a threat anymore? Well, I think if we, even if we just take it, the driving example, mm-hmm. that your tendencies behind the wheel in a vehicle when you're sharing the road with other people, are you impulsive? Are you aggressive? Are you, do you have a short fuse? Get frustrated easily? Those kinds of things, people are in your way. Right. And that, that's objectifying. And so in his treatment of his spouse, does he exhibit a lot of those behaviors? Yeah. That would be a good question. And for her, as she's looking at, you know, trying to get, maybe get some answers to those questions that she has, she can assess how does she feel in her interactions with him? And does he listen to what she says and take her seriously? Does he ask good questions? Does he treat her experience like it matters? Does yeah. he let her influence him as a person? Does does he consider her contributions to the family equally valuable? Like those are all levels of, you know, how does that play out in their relationship? And that can also show up in their sexual relationship as well. Oh, yeah. Right. Especially there. Where yeah. if he's had a history of sexually acting out or crossing lines or, or you know, unbridled lust or whatever you want to call it. Um, oh, yeah. Then, I mean, does he act like that in the bedroom? Right. Does, yeah. Is she, you know, is, you... She, is she just basically going through the motions with him? Is he okay with that? Yeah. Is he not yeah. slowing down? Is there intimate any... life all about like his wants and preferences and yeah. desires? Yeah. And then the other part that I want to just put out there, which could be a whole nother I mean, it could be a whole book, and it is a book, actually, um, <laughs> by the Kite Sisters. Oh, mm-hmm. They talk about it, self-objectification. Yes. That we do, and she says a lot of women do. Yes. And this is a lot of work that betrayed women that I've worked with over the years. This is a huge task for them. Yes. And again, whether they've been betrayed by an intimate partner or not, I think every woman has to do this kind of work because of the nature, and I think men too. I think there's more of it now than ever. Mm-hmm. But in our media, body-obsessed, saturated culture, there's a lot of self-objectification. So it's it's probably reasonable to say that this woman, this wife, among other women that are struggling with body image issues post-betrayal, where they've been sexually betrayed, where mm-hmm. there's been major sexual comparisons, mm-hmm. that, you know, that insecurity yeah. is probably just driven really high only because there's already an existing vulnerability just by living in this world as a woman but also there's been an active comparison or a betrayal there. And so I would want to know from her, how is she doing on her own self-objectification? Yeah. How is she healing that? How is she looking at that, talking about it? Because that's not something he can fix. That's right. And she might inadvertently be contributing to that by just seeing her own self as an object. Right. And so then she just assumes that he's he's seeing her that way and right. other women as well, because she can't, She's struggling to break out of that. So we'll give a shout out to the Kite Sisters, Mm -hmm. Doctors Lexi and Lindsay Kite, Beauty Redefined. Yes. Uh, You can find them on social media, on their website. And they've written a book called More Than a Body. 
Mm-hmm. And they've done some of the best work on this topic. Yeah, that and we've some really ever seen. excellent research, just all about yes for women primarily and women all, and girls. All about like just being able to live in and enjoy your body and do and be as opposed to just exist to be seen and observed. And I've talked with lots of lots of couples where you know he's worked really hard to heal the conditions and be a safer person. And he's done a lot of work around his own integrity and so on. And, and she might still struggle with self-objectification or body image issues that probably even predated their relationship. Sure. If she's like most people, most women and girls that struggle with this in, in today's culture. And so there's good news in that, that you don't have to wait for him to establish any sort of trust to work on that. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to wait around for him to make you feel validated and good as a woman. Oh, no. And no, feel that, sexy or he, attractive or beautiful or enough because mm-hmm. that's that's an inside job that stands yes. alone regardless of what he does. Yes, I love that. That is an inside job mm-hmm. that stands alone. And mm-hmm. so that, that stuff, you know, a betrayed woman can get working on right away and needs to because mm-hmm. I think in that's, a lot of ways, you're, there's a, so much just trauma and betrayal going on just culturally around attacking women's bodies, women's identities. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. It is. And so, so I guess going back to this question of how could he ever prove that he is a safe person, that he's not objectifying, we're talking about it'll come out in his language, it'll come out in the way he treats other people Mm -hmm. outside of a sexual context and certainly inside of one with her. Yes. Obviously, if he's just like whistling at women and like being super, kind of the traditional sort <laughs> yeah. of like, well, Duh, okay, obviously. There's an issue. <laughs> we're talking about it's going to show up in all these non-sexual ways. Yes. Impatience, entitlement, selfishness, mm-hmm. you know, pushing himself to the front of the line. I mean, there's just an attitude, a, a belief system, again, that we talked about is really at the root of even just abuse, which is a belief that you're especially unique and different than other people and uh, that the and rules- better than. Better than. Yeah. The rules don't apply to you, that you're- other people are less than. I think those are red flags. Yeah. And sexual entitlements are very, you know, it's just a really small step into that because mm-hmm. you've already laid the foundational thinking for that. Mm-hmm. And then recognizing that if she's deeply insecure about this, she can look for those things and see if he's living that kind of life. But she can also do her own work around reducing her own objectification of herself mm-hmm. and seeing what's left over there. She might feel more secure once she realizes, you know what? I can feel secure in my own body and my own skin. And maybe yeah. I was projecting some of that. It's messy and I get every situation is going to be different. Yeah. And so there might be some situations where there needs to be a lot more work that he has to do. Maybe he yeah. stopped the behavior, but he's not changed the mindset. That, that's right. I'm, yeah. Stopping the behavior mm-hmm. is, it's the initial work, but it is the smallest amount of work. And I've worked with some couples where he's really done that work and he's been held accountable. And he's really working hard to change his beliefs and enti- he's like really digging in. And she's just struggled for a long time, you know, with her own body yeah. image and yes. and stuff like that. And, and I would want her to eliminate that own suffering in her life, no matter what. Yes. But it can really it help is, heal the relationship, surprisingly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Her getting healthy in those ways mm-hmm. will contribute to health in the relationship. And if she chooses not to, then it sabotages yeah. the potential for connection there. And this is this is the piece that I guess maybe I'll tie together is that the reason it becomes a relational problem when someone self-objectifies, and again, mm-hmm. it's mostly women and girls based on the research the Kite Sisters have done, is you're just always vulnerable and dependent on clamoring for the other person, generally your husband or boyfriend, 
to reassure you that you're okay and you're enough. Yes. And that becomes an impossible task. Because it's never, there is no amount of reassurance that will ever be enough. No, mm-hmm. no, there's a void there that only you can fill. And I believe God can fill Yeah. at yeah. a very deep level that you're going to be okay, that you're enough and that your body isn't the focus, that yeah. you're more than a body. Yeah. And if you're just constantly referencing and looking and whatever else, you're going to torture yourself and your partner trying mm-hmm. to get that answer. Yes. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a way out. So the good news is there's lots everybody can do around this. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot everybody can do. So anything else you want to say on that? No, no. I think that's, that's great. Hopefully we've cracked open some important conversations for you and your, uh, in your relationship around this topic of objectification. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. We're so glad you've been here. We appreciate you. Yeah, we really do. We appreciate the feedback and the kind words. Mm -hmm. We love hearing from you. Have a great week, everyone. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.